Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Cincinnati Bengals are 2021 AFC North champions. Who would have believed it? I don't know. Maybe maybe we would have earlier. I don't know. We got to go back and listen to the tape. But, hey, the Bengals got their 10th win against the Kansas City Chiefs at home. They took care of business. And John Sheeran, believe it or not, in year three of Zach Taylor, year two of Joe Burrow, the Bengals have a division title. Happy New Year, man. New Year, new Bengals. Um, I I don't remember much, if not any, of the 2003 win over the Chiefs. But, you know, people take that or have that win in such high regard in their memories as fans and just the lore of the organization in general. And, you know, if, if I did remember that, I feel like it felt a lot like this. Only this was just a lot more meaningful because that team was four and five. And they ended up going eight and eight that year. This team is ten and six. They've clinched a playoff berth, and it really does feel like just the beginning of a lot of great times in Cincinnati. It really does. Happy New Year to you, by the way, as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, we we sat here at the beginning of the season and during the summer. And we're, hey, we're pretty excited about the direction of the team, but you know they're young, they're inexperienced. We still don't know what to make of this coaching staff. And then they kind of kept taking baby steps throughout the season and kind of getting these nice wins. They'd stumble along the way as well. But, um, you know, that Chiefs win back in 03 was a turning point for this franchise, a turning point in the Marvin Lewis era in the direction that they were heading. And this one is another turning point in in the direction of the franchise uh, under Zach Taylor and, and Joe Burrow. Just a gigantic win. A, a hell of a fun game to watch in general. I mean, just if you like points, if you like scoring, if you like all that, despite the, the Chiefs not scoring in the second half. I mean, there was a lot of scoring going on, a lot of huge plays happening. So just a really fun game to watch. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to break that down. We've got a stat of the week to get to you. So we will, we've will. we got an interesting one, especially in this year of Bengals football, wherein there are so many records being broken, franchise or NFL or otherwise. John's got some good stats of the week for us to, to be throwing out at us. And then we've got... A really special interview. Uh, we had the opportunity to speak with Lee Steinberg, one of the biggest names in the sports industry, a, a, an agent who has been a powerhouse guy for decades and decades. He was the inspiration behind the movie Jerry Maguire. We're going to talk to him about all kinds of different stuff. The Bengals are part of the conversation, obviously, and this current Bengals team, but uh, his dealings with the Bengals, 
his being the inspiration of Jerry Maguire and, of course, uh, his th- thoughts on John Madden, his career, all kinds of different stuff. So I think you'll enjoy that chat coming up in just a little bit. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the Browns and the Bengals postseason. So, John, let's start, I guess, with the the big win here against against the Chiefs. And, ah, man, just big play after big play. And it was it was the Jamar Chase show. It really was. It was the Jamar Chase show while Tyreek Hill was on the other sideline. And in a game where it's 34 to 31, you would think that those two would be trading blows, right? And the Bengals defense found a way to limit a usually dangerous Tyreek Hill. And they found a way to weaponize one of the hottest receivers in the game right now and probably should be the rookie of the year. Like, I don't think it's up for debate anymore. The whole thing with Mac Jones was that he's a quarterback on a playoff team and he was playing well enough to win those games. But the level of which Jamar Chase is, can elevate the Bengals offense is unlike anything that we've seen in recent memory. Like Justin Jefferson obviously had a great year last year and he probably should have won rookie of the year with the Vikings. But Justin Herbert popped off and that and that was that. But it really shouldn't be a debate. And it really was him a week after T Higgins you know, showed why he was was should have been involved in like the Pro Bowl conversation and and the growth that he's taken in in his game in year two. Then Jamar Chase is like, you know what, T Higgins is great, but I'm Jamar Chase. And it's not just against Ravens defensive backs that were called up off the practice squad. Say what you will about the Chiefs cornerbacks. They might have been overachieving in the last eight weeks. The defense was top four an EPA per dropback allowed and success rate allowed over their eight game winning streak. It was a legit defense It is a defense that has figured out how to play football again. And Jamar chase just made them look like high schoolers. Like it, it was completely insane. Like that first touchdown, man, like I, just watching it, 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 how, how that became a touchdown is unbelievable. That is what Tyree kill usually does to opposing mm-hmm. defenses. And the Bengals have that weapon now. And it really did feel like for chase specifically, like we've seen him separate on deep balls earlier in the season. That's where a lot of his production came from. Teams started to scheme away from that. They started to scheme around that to stop it. And the Bengals have had to adjust because of that. They went to Tyler Boyd more. They went to T Higgins more. They, those two got involved more. And over the past couple of weeks, we've now seen the full arrival of Jamar Chase. We've seen him in the slot more. I think his slot target percentage is up to 30% in the last two weeks. A lot of his production has come from the slot against the Ravens and in this game against the Chiefs. I think the, the one first the first touchdown was with him in the slot. And it's not just that. He's also elevating his game in contested catch situations, which was a yep. strength of his at LSU, but it hasn't really been so far this season. It's really just been uncontested deep balls where he's gotten separation. Now he's climbing the ladder against some of these cornerbacks and making good throws from Burrow, great catches from him in some of those spots. So we're really seeing the entire Jamar Chase experience if you want to read more about that go to Cincy jungle for my rookie report which is the title of that article but it really did feel like jamar chase made a statement of not only being in the pro bowl but probably should be in the all pro conversation and undoubtedly a rookie of the year performance it, it was unbelievable and i think the one that you were referencing was the one where he caught the the you know little uh what was it a hitch route an out route something like that mm-hmm. from the slot and just took it to the house and that you know as as a whole this game, we talked about how, you know, we can reference the 2003 game against the Chiefs as a whole. And it, it, for those who remember, in terms of the amount of scoring, the star power in this in this game, particularly on offense, I, I this reminded me a lot of the Bengals 05 game against the Indianapolis Colts, um, where they just traded big, big play for big play 
against Peyton Manning, Carson Palmer versus Peyton Manning. And it was, it was just like a aerial show. Um, this one kind of reminded me of that instead of the O three three chiefs game, uh, oddly enough, but that I thought Jim Nance, when he co- made the call of, of chase pulling away on that, when he's, he said a phrase and it says, look at the gear he found. And when he, when he was pulling away from that and, because I, I thought, you know, he'd get a nice – he made a nice move after the catch on a, on a linebacker to cut back to the middle of the field. And I saw that, and I'm like, okay, well, he's going to get some nice yards after the catch, and all of a sudden it's just – he's gone. He's gone. It's, it's, it's next level. And that – so that one was, was really interesting. And I, I, I really feel like what you said about Chase being placed in the slot and playing more there – that's a big kudos to the Bengals coaching staff because they started seeing him being bottled up on the outside a lot. Um, and what did they do? They, they moved him around. They put him in the slot. And not only is he performing excellently by being moved around, the entire offense is thriving, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's now just all hands on deck and everybody's, everybody's making plays. It was the Jamar chase show last week, but guys are still making plays. Boyd had a nice touchdown. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of credit goes to the offensive coaching staff for making that adjustment and moving chase around a bit more and credit to chase being open to it and, and being a, a versatile enough player to be competent to play outside and inside. And and the, the interesting thing to me is the whole conversation with the receivers is that, you know, if one starts to get garner attention and dominate, it could be that, defenses will key in on him and then you can go to other guys to really carry the rest of the game or really take over in some situations but they just kept going back to Jamar in this game because there was nothing that Charvarius Ward or Rashad Fenton could do to stop him and that was the case on the final drive too where Chase had not one but two fantastic plays on the sideline to convert some for some first downs and I think the third and 27 is the play that we're going to look at in years to come at, at this game at just the the, the defining moment of the game. And for me, just directly after the game, I think it's probably the most critical series of the entire game because look at the plays before third 27. You had a holding penalty on Drew Sample on like a Joe Mixon run. So now you're in second and you're in first and 20. Joe Burrow takes a seven yard sack after Isaiah Prince and Trey Hopkins get, get beat. Second and 27 at this point. You're tied. You have Patrick Mahomes waiting on the sideline with like three minutes to go. The Chiefs haven't used any timeouts. Conventional wisdom from this Bengals team would have you believe that they're going to try to play for a field goal, despite the offensive success that they've had against this really good chiefs defense. They take a shot play on second and 27. Zach is staying aggressive here. The T Higgins and it's unfortunately incomplete. Now you're hundred percent positive that they're just trying to get Evan McPherson more comfortable field goal range on third and 27. I know that Jamar chase wasn't the only option on this play, but they went for it on third and 27. Mm-hmm. That's the longest third down conversion since I think 2009 for this team. And I looked this up at what that conversion was. It I was know. to Way Daniel Coates yep. <laughs> against the Packers. And he fumbled in Laverne's Coles had to recover it. Yep. I, I, it was, I did not remember that at all, but I'm, I'm very glad that that's, that's what it was. And we it was had a comedy of errors play. Yeah. It was unbelievable. The, yeah. the, the most classic Daniel Coates moment of all time. Of course. Yeah. hundred percent. That that play, it's like it's the growth of Zach Taylor in, in this team, I think. It's now putting the ball in Burrow's hands and making him and putting him in position to make the plays to win the game. 
because if you just settle for a field goal there, in all likelihood, at the bare minimum, the Chiefs get a field goal. You go to overtime, then you're playing Patrick Mahomes in overtime. Look how that turned out with the Chargers a couple weeks back. And then the, he kept his foot on the gas. It wasn't just the third and 27. It was going for fourth down twice, albeit the, you know, the flags did help. I'll, while they were legitimate flags, and we've talked about this on Twitter in the past couple of days, you know, the fact that the, those flags happened, it, it did help him out there. But the decision, I think, was still correct because his logic was, you got to go take this division. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be handed to you. You can't just, even though you have confidence in your defense after they played fantastic in the second half, you don't want to give Patrick Mahomes the ball to counter to t- either tie it or take the lead. I think the fact that he went for it on fourth down twice and went for it on third and 27 there, it really is the growth of Zach Taylor. and really is the growth of the entire team and really the reason why I think you should take this Bengals team seriously because I, I don't know if they make that decision like a month ago. Those are the types of decisions, especially when they pay off, that really galvanize a team, right? I mean, that that as a coach, when you make that decision and you make those decisions, plural, and they work out in your favor and they work out in dramatic fashion to get you a huge win against an AFC powerhouse, that's the type of thing that garners confidence within a locker room. That's the type of thing that gets players rallying behind you as a, as a head coach. And, um, you know, I don't, that's not the reason why he did that. Those, those are ancillary effects, but it's just to win the game. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, by the way, your boy, you got some run on, uh, on Twitter there with that video showing the, the, the penalties and rightfully so good God, there was just like so much chatter, uh, about the the penalties. And I'm going, I, I saw a couple things go against the Bengals. They're not called against the Bengals that were in that game as well. I, oh, man, the, well, a couple of a couple of the last few wins and or losses, there's been some chatty fan bases, opposing fan bases on Twitter, man. Well, first it was you know the Ravens' um, injuries and everything, and the and the validity of that win. And I I agree, man. I think most people were watching this game and thinking, yeah, it's not the greatest ref re- refereed game of all time. There was calls against both teams that were definitely questionable, like the Phantom McKee Medenergy hold. You had the Jesse Bates right. interference on the second drive. And then against the Chiefs, there was, I think, a really bad pass interference against T. Higgins that extended, I think, the first fourth quarter touchdown drive. But other than that, I couldn't think of like anything too dramatically terrible from the refs. Those those calls were significant on both fourth down plays, but they were legitimate flags and, and the tape shows it. So I think it was like Brittany Mahomes, Pat, Pat's wife that was complaining on Twitter and then all, all the Chiefs uproar about it. But at the end of the day, like if you don't want the game to be decided by the refs, don't make bad plays that force the refs to call it. It just is what it is. Yeah, we've got a few more uh, topics to get to on this. We also have another couple other super chats. So thank you, by the way. If you are watching on YouTube, uh, if you want to s- send a super chat, we that's much appreciated, and uh, we we love pinning those up on the show. There, uh, this is from John from Kentucky, also known as Vape Guy. Uh, I was at the game. What a show! I'll be in Covington or Cincy, somewhere close to Paul Brown Stadium when we win our first playoff game. Who day, John from Kentucky? And no, that actually is a pretty good segue into. Uh, uh, one of the other topics we want to talk about that because we've talked about, you know, Chase asserting himself, Burrow asserting himself in this game and all kinds of different elements. Um, I, I do want to talk about the defense in just a little bit, but John is a, a longtime fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been a fan of this show and, and other podcasts that I've been a part of. And, and he's an avid Cincy jungle reader. What, just what do you think this this win in general means to this fan base after everything we've had to endure since that January of 2016 against the Steelers 
this moment, this game, a team that was not picked to be very good from a lot of different pundits. Um, what do you think this just means to this fan base, especially with all the things that they were rolling out this this offseason, right? Right. It, it legitimizes all of that. It, it, it means that Elizabeth Blackburn's work was not put to waste. It, it, it can be taken seriously, I guess. I think success like this means that that last part of the fan base that didn't fully buy into all the changes is now starting to do so because Zach Taylor's had some signature wins in his first three years. Like in his first two years, there was a win against the Titans. There was a win against the Steelers. There's even that win against the Texans with, with Brandon Allen, a quarterback. And then even this season, like beating, beating the Ravens at at Baltimore, sweeping the Ravens in general, sweeping the Steelers in general. It's all well and dandy. I think his only win against a potential playoff team is either the Ravens and Steelers. They're probably not going to get in and the Raiders who may not get in either. There were a lot of good wins here, but none that was really defining as like a turning point that this team is not going to be like the others. And I think this is that moment. And it's crazy to think that just this time last year, there was conversations about does Zach Taylor deserve year three, right? Like is, is his plan legit? Are they willing to give him enough? Should they give him enough time to see what he's got going and then everything hit this year. And it all led up to this week against that team. That team that they should be should have been working all offseason to figure out to plan how to beat them. Because you do not get to the Super Bowl without yeah. taking down the two-time AFC champions, the two-time representatives of the Super Bowl. And if we want to segue a little bit to the defense after this, like in that first half, <laughs> it was funny to me. And people got a little bit mad at me for this. But... It was funny how the last two off seasons, because the conversation that, that the fan base was having was, should they load up on offense or should they try to get competent on defense to try to slow down some of these offenses? And they chose the, the, the defensive route and they give up 28 points with a pretty much fully healthy defense out there, a really expensive defense out there. And at least for me, it looked like this just looks like they've been overmatched just like the last two years. Only there's a lot more expensive bodies out there. And it's almost like you're back to square one where it's, okay, you did all this work to bolster the defense, but now you're back to, they just got to outscore them. And I don't know what happened in halftime or from the the end of the second quarter to the beginning of the third, but some light switch was flipped and it was crazy. It gave up three points to the Chiefs in the second half. It's it's never been done. I don't think it's ever been done before since Pat Mahomes got there. And we we talk about the offense. They don't win that game without the defense coming back. And I think that's got to be something that, that, is forever embodied in the lore of this game. This is what boggled my mind, John. They, they didn't, and they didn't do it by some of the ways they've been winning on defense before, meaning they haven't, they weren't really getting after Mahomes. They weren't sacking him. They weren't, they were just finding ways to get off the field really. Um, And I mean, zero sacks in this game, Trey Hendrickson streak, uh, unfortunately broken in this one, but that's, that's where I, I look back and I go, how did they do that? I mean, they weren't, they, they really weren't making big, big plays. They weren't creating turnovers. They weren't doing all they dropped this- two interceptions. I know they, they just, they just somehow stuck it together and just got off the field. And, and that's, that was the crazy part to me is, you know, you, you kind of feel like if you were to beat the chiefs, you have to go back to the formula where they lost the Super Bowl where you have to pressure Mahomes incessantly and you got to get after him, you got to sack him, or you got to you got to channel what uh, one of the weaknesses 
that the Chiefs showed earlier this year where they were just turning the ball over a lot more, right? And he and Mahomes was throwing some interceptions and all kinds of things. And you felt like one or or both of those things needed to happen in order for the Bengals to make a comeback and make a game of this. And that wasn't the case. They just somehow on defense just kept getting off the field. It's crazy because as well as the offense played, I think they were more consistent performers on the defense compared to the offense because obviously Joe Burrow played amazing again. Jamar Chase was Jamar Chase, but the offense line didn't play very well. Burrow was under pressure a lot from Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram and such. On defense, you had masterclass performances from Chidobe Awuzie against Tyreek Hill matched up in man coverage. Trey Flowers, he did give up the touchdown to Travis Kelsey, but you will take five receptions for 25 yards and a touchdown against Travis Kelsey 10 times out of 10, 100%. The fact that he didn't explode. Trey Flowers did a great job against George Kittle a month ago, and he did an even better job against Travis Kelsey in this game. Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogunjobi, I think, played the most consistent on defense line, despite neither one getting a sack. Hendrickson went up against Joe Tooney, which was kind of ironic because of the whole conversation in the offseason. The Bengals should sign Tooney, but they ended up signing Hendrickson as the big guy. And those two kind of battled it out. Tooney really did held his own at a position I don't think he's ever played before. So defense played out of their minds in the second half. And going back to that original point of what this win means, because we have people in the comment section kind of talking about this, because now it's like, who did the Bengals, who do Bengals fans want to play in the first round? Mm -hmm. I don't think that conversation should exist. I think the Bengals are the team that no one wants to face. It should be the other fan bases that are saying, okay, well, we don't want to play the Bengals now because it's not just the fact that if you beat the Chiefs, you can beat anybody. No one's playing at a hotter hotter rate than they are. It's the other teams that should be concerned about getting matched up with them in the first round, not the other way around. And I think that's what this win ultimately means in the short term. They are playing at a a level that not even the Chiefs are playing right now. And that that means something. That means something in the right now. It does. And... You know, I keep going back to a lot of people that, you know, when they'd ask me, how are the Bengals going to be? How are the Bengals going to be this year? And I, I always said, you know, I think they've got a, a decent ceiling. I, I I had 10, 10 wins as the ceiling. I kind of said they may be in that eight, eight, nine win range, but um, I just go back and I remember a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I think they'll be, they'll be good. They'll be fine. But I don't know about picking Jamar Chase. I, I think they should have gone offensive line. And I just keep going back to that. I know there's a lot of receipt collecting going on on Twitter these past few days, but um, I just keep going back to those conversations about, you know, why, why chase and why, uh, why that pick. And and now you're seeing why, um, and you saw it earlier in the season and then he's morphed into a different player because they've moved him around uh, in different alignments and stuff. So um, it, it means, it means quite a bit. And uh, you know, there's just been this, bad taste in Bengals fans mouth since that loss to the Steelers and sweeping them this year, sweeping the Ravens this year, getting this win against the chiefs and getting into the playoffs is a huge, huge deal. We've got a couple more uh, super chats, I think to get to, and then we're going to get to a stat of the week and our interview with Lee Steinberg coming up in just a little bit real quick, kind of a, a little bit of off topic, but a good question nonetheless here from Mr. Whisper asking our guru, John Sheeran, John is an O-line expert. Can you explain why Prince starts over Fred Johnson? What does he do that's better? He looks Bobby Hardish over there to me. Oh man, you, you spent $5 to really roast Isaiah Prince to the, to the dirt right there. That's, yeah, that was kind of harsh. Yeah. I, I mean, Isaiah Prince hasn't been playing great. Obviously there have been some, 
some moments here and there, but I think it's similar to why Hakeem Adenogy is still out there because the mistakes that Adenogy makes, they they aren't like drive altering ones like yeah. you're seeing from Jackson Carmen from time to time. And Isaiah Prince, you would like to see him win a little bit more. But I think with Fred Johnson, he he I think has more dominant wins, but also there comes to be more of a variance with him as well. He played really well against the Broncos and he deserves credit he for did. that. But yeah. I think the I think the coaches see a more stable player in Prince despite not being like a probably a starting worthy tackle, which you know it he's a backup for a reason, and so is Fred Johnson. So I, I don't disagree. I think Fred Johnson should get a chance, but that would be the logic I would say with Prince. Uh there was one more here. Uh uh from from John in Kentucky again. Special shout out to Baker Mayfield for getting long awaited changes in Cincinnati to finally happen. May he Feel free to troll us anytime. Woof, woof. Um, yeah, Baker Mayfield, he's he's not going to play in this finale. We'll talk about that uh, a little later. But Baker Mayfield was a guy that, um, you know, he's he's really had his career games against the Cincinnati Bengals. A, a great, really, I mean, it's kind of been every Bengals game that he has won has kind of been a turning point in Brown seasons. And uh, now they've fallen short of expectations. So, um they are out of the playoffs, and uh, maybe it was the fact that Mike Brown saw continuous losing under Zach Taylor against the Browns and against Baker Mayfield that, I don't know, galvanized some of these changes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just grasping there. But, uh, yeah, maybe maybe Baker Mayfield had a, <laughs> a little bit of extra to do with the Bengals turnaround here. We're going to get to the stat of the week in just a second here. Before we do, want to remind folks to – uh, subscribe to this YouTube channel. There's a subscribe button underneath the SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo on John's side of the screen there. You can click that, subscribe to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, that you got to be able to um, click the bell to be able to do that as well. So uh, subscribe. We're over 5,000 subscribers, which is pretty awesome. So thank you very much. We're going to keep bringing you all kinds of different content. Uh, so thank you. And if you like the audio version of this show you can get it on itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of the major audio platforms through the cincy jungle podcast channel where you can get this show you can get orange is the new black from ace and zim and of course matt minnick's coach speak and chalk talk all available on the cincy jungle podcast channel wherever you get your audio podcasts and as usual new year but that doesn't mean that this show is no longer brought to you by symbol S-I-M-B-U-L-L and the website simbull.com slash OBI. And Symbol is where you can buy tea. Buy tea. Like they are bucks. You, you got to know about the product by now. They've got a great deal going for our listeners. You got to use the promo code. But uh, I'm going to let my co-host tell you a little bit more about that promo code and the incentives for our listeners. Yeah, so if you guys don't know Symbol still exist in the year 2022 and it like anthony said is the stock market for sports where you can find any professional nfl nba mlb nhl and power five college football team and every one of those teams has a symbol stock price attached to it and if you feel like that team is going to do well in the long run and you want to put your money where your mouth is symbol is the place to invest in your favorite teams or teams you're knowledgeable about and you can make some money in the long term kind of like it is the stock market the stock market for sports it kind of is what it is and for obi listeners 
This is a great deal. Symbol is giving you up to a $500 money back guarantee for your first initial deposit. If you lose money or if you're just not interested in Symbol, if you don't like it in the first 90 days after you make that initial deposit, up to $500 to put into the Symbol market, you can do a lot with that initial investment. But if you're not really feeling it after the first three months, Symbol doesn't blame you. They're not going to punish you. You can take out that $500 out of your account back into your pocket where it originated, but only if you use the promo code OBI after going to symbol.app forward slash OBI, promo code OBI for that $500 money back guarantee. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, John, now you have some stats of the week to to tell us about do you want me to pin this up here uh which what, what you've got sharing or yeah go ahead and do that we're gonna okay. give give the uh live listeners and the youtube audience uh a, a boost here by giving you some visuals back in week 13 i was curious because joe burrow and andy dalton of 2013 had identical volume stats through the first 12 games of their respective seasons. And you can see this on the left here, yards, touchdowns, interceptions. They're almost completely the same. And it got me thinking, okay, how does Joe Burrow and Andy Dalton compare in terms of the advanced statistics, in terms of EPA per play, PFF grade, uh, completion percentage over expectation. And through week 13, Burrow still had the advantage in that regard. But now that Joe Burrow has played 16 games, Andy Dalton played 16 games in the 2013 season, and Joe Burrow won't play another game this year. I went back and now have looked at their season-ending advanced statistics. So on the screen here, you'll see what the volume stats look like through the first 13 weeks. And on the right, you will see the advanced statistics at season's end. And just the, really the difference the differences between Burrow and Dalton. Honestly, Andy Dalton's 2013 season, it, it's identified with a lot of good and a lot of bad. You had... 4,300 yards and 33 touchdowns, but 20 interceptions. And of course, those yards and touchdowns have just been passed by the Bengals' current quarterback, Joe Burrow. But in terms of going deeper into the numbers, you'll see that Burrow not only is best and better than Dalton and all these, but just compared to the rest of the league, he really does shine. So an EPA per play, Joe Burrow is now seventh in the NFL after being, I believe, 16th after week 13. Andy Dalton finished ninth in 2013. Completion percentage over expectation, which is basically accuracy in tight windows. Joe Burrow was first in the NFL, and he's been in the top That's five crazy. throughout the entire season. Andy Dalton was about 13th, middle of the run back in 2013. And when you combine those two stats, you get a composite score. And this score is important because uh, Ben Baldwin, who works for The Athletic and does all this EPA stuff, uh, he found out that this stat is really important in projecting EPA for the next year. So Joe Burrow is seventh in EPA per play this year, but he's second in the EPA completion percentage composite score, which means that bodes well for his EPA per play, maintaining this level or even improving in the next year. 
So like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you know, those guys, they're top ADP per play. They're in the MVP conversation. So that bodes well for Burrow um, continuing the success moving forward. But then you get to the PFF stuff. And this is where the, the human element comes into it. This is where decision making and just the stuff that doesn't always translate into the numbers. Obviously, Joe Burrow's first in PFF grade. Andy Dalton was 13th in PFF grade that season. The and then we have the big time throw percentage and the turnover turnover worthy throw percentage. But I label this as the nice throw man percentage and the boo you stink. Percentage. I like boo you stink. Boo you stink is, yeah, is boo, pretty. Boo you awesome. stink is a lot more fun. And <laughs> Joe Burrow was not that great in this regard through week 13, but he is now sixth in the NFL in the lowest sixth lowest uh, boo you stink percentage at 2.4. Andy Dalton finished that year at uh, 18th, uh, I think four percent. In terms of the big time throw percentages, very equal. Joe Burrow six point four percent big time throw percentage for third in the league right now. Andy Dalton was six point five percent third in the league as well. But as you can see, the differences in that PFF grade kind of really comes through that turnover worthy throw percentage, where Andy Dalton was a lot worse than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has not thrown an interception, I believe, in the last month, and that is because, in large part, to the lack of bad throws. The boo you stink throws and Andy Dalton never really got that percentage down for him so it was interesting how similar they were through the first 12 games 13 weeks but you really do see the differences in how Burrow has elevated his game over the last month and there's not really a stat or metric that you can look at that doesn't explain just how great Burrow has been so that's and that's kind of my takeaway from this I mean aside from all the great numbers and data you've compiled here and thank you for doing that um my takeaway, though, is that it's not so much, yeah, it's not so much Dalton's 2013 season was not, you know, it wasn't as great as it, as it seems on its surface. It's more that Burroughs 2021 season is that outstanding, right? I mean, that that's that's kind of my takeaway, because if you actually look at, at Dalton's numbers, I mean, the interceptions number number is pretty bad, but I mean, you're you're in ninth and sixth and tenth uh, and I mean so I mean there, there are a lot of respectable numbers in that season for Dalton it's but it's and it's not so much that this is a Dalton slight on his season in 2013 this this to me just says this is all about uh this is all about Burrow um you're you're typing you're you're filling something out here yeah, just for clarification because those numbers are not the, the season ending numbers and I forgot to put that in okay well you get it you get it um Regardless, really, really interesting stuff. And it just shows how great Burrow has been in a lot of different ways this season. I, I want to go back to something you you talked about, the EPA um, EPA and CPOE composite score, where Burrow is second, where it talks about, you know, you talked about how great he has been. But you also said there's maybe a future indicator there as well. Yeah, so the, like that stat exists because uh, Ben Baldwin, again, who's like the expert in this field, he found that um, like co- compositing both of those metrics, it is the best indicator along with PFF grade in terms of projecting EPA per play the next season. And EPA per play is still considered like like the god stat of like overall efficiency for quarterbacks. It doesn't always tell the full story, but for the most part, the guys who are at the top there ha- are just playing really consistently and really well and really effectively. And Burrow's EPA per play this year was kind of ha- was kind of hampered by interceptions and whatnot. But the completion percentage over expectation has always been consistent. And that has always 
stabilized and maintained a high level through the season. Once the interceptions went down and the big time throws um, maintained throughout the season, that EPA per play number was going to climb and therefore the composite score was going to climb. So judging by this, judging by just the recent history and the data that we have with, with the statistic, we can project that next year Burrow will be again in the top five, top 10 in EPA per play, which is good news for the Bengals, obviously. Yeah. Well, thanks for clarifying that. I, I just wanted to make sure that our listeners understood that there were long-term positive ramifications on that too. So great stuff, John, great research on that. Ben Baldwin, is he, is, he's computer cowboy on, uh, on Twitter, he is, right? He is computer yeah. cowboy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a fun account to follow for sure. Uh, well, thanks for doing that, John. Those are some great stats of the week. Um, and you always bring the, the info and we appreciate it every single week. We're going to give you all now an opportunity to check out our interview with Lee Steinberg. We chatted with him a little bit earlier today. This, this is an awesome sit down. Um, if you don't know who Lee Steinberg is, he is the founder of Steinberg Sports Entertainment. It is a Southern California based, at least his, his office is in Southern California in Newport Beach. Um, but he is has been one of the faces in the sports agency realm. He's has decades and decades of representing a lot of prominent NFL players, a lot of Bengals players. John, we found out we were talking to him. It was uh, Dan Wilkinson, Kajana Carter, and others that he represented and had some dealings with the Bengals. He had some funny stories about Mike Brown and other things. So we're going to play that for you now, and uh, we'll be back in just a little bit after the interview to talk about the Browns game. But we're going to share this with you now. All right. Well, as teased earlier, we are joined by one of the biggest names in the sports industry here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He is one of the most well-known and well-respected sports agents in all of sports, not just football, all sports. Mr. Lee Steinberg joining the program. How are you, sir? Fellow fellow Southern Californian, fellow Orange County resident, how are you? How are you? Happy to be with you. Well, great to have you with us. And it's an interesting time for us on this show. We've been doing this show for a number of years, and we finally uh, we finally get to talk about a winning season for the Cincinnati Bengals. We want to hear about some of your experiences and, and thoughts about the team, and uh, you know your past experiences there. But quickly, I guess, um, tell us a little bit about how you became a sports agent and how you built your your great empire your great reputation as one of the the leading sports agents in the world of sports so i was going to uc berkeley in the tumultuous 1960s and i was student body president and after that i was a dorm counselor in an undergraduate dormitory and they moved the freshman football team into the dorm and they had some interesting people. One of them was Steve Wozniak, who went and <laughs> formed uh, Apple. Another fellow, Brian Maxwell, put together the energy bar, uh, power bar. Uh, but it was the freshman football team, and the quarterback was Steve Bartkowski. So he and I became friendly. And then as the years went on, he became the very first player picked in the first round of the NFL draft by the Falcons. Mm -hmm. And I was choosing between different job offers. I had traveled the world for a year. And Bartkowski asked me to represent him in his negotiations with the Falcons. So there I was brimming with legal experience, never having practiced mm -hmm. before. 
And my first legal client was Bartkowski. And I remember we got back to Atlanta to sign the contract and there were uh, Klieg lights flashing in the sky like for a, a movie premiere. And a huge crowd was pressed up against the police line. And the first thing we heard was, we interrupt the Johnny Carson show to bring you a special <laughs> than Steve Bartkowski and his attorney, Lee Steinberg, have just arrived. So there really wasn't an organized field of sports agentry then. Teams could hang up the phone. Mike Brown of the Bengals could just slam the phone down and say, <laughs> agents. And as a matter of fact, the first one of the the second client I had was going to be Pat McAnally, who was picked by the Bengals in 1975 as a wide mm -hmm. receiver punter. But uh, Mike wouldn't deal with me on that. I had better luck a couple of years later with a player called uh, Greg Fairchild. Um, but I, I go back with him forever. But that's how I started. And then it it, my dad had two core values. One was treasure relationships, especially family. And the other was to try to make a difference in other people's lives and help people who couldn't help themselves. So I saw that the athletes could retrace their roots and they could go back to the high school community and set up a scholarship fund or a church or boys and girls club, go to the university and do a similar thing um, so a Troy Aikman endowed a full scholarship at uh, UCLA or Warren Moon at University of uh, Washington. And then at the pro level, take the leading political figures, business leaders, and community leaders, put them on a board and execute a program that will help people. So that's work done, the retired uh, mm -hmm. back who has a program we set up called Homes for the Holidays, where he just put the 175th single mother and her family into the first home they'll ever own by making a down payment. So it was this philosophy then that carried forward. So you've been doing this for almost like 50 years, I think, at this point. You've uh, represented many Hall of Famers, and you represent some of the best players today. But something that is relatively new is representing college players with, with NIL deals. You have Spencer Rattler and Malik Willis under representation. How has navigating that new part of the industry been this year? Is it that much different than representing professional athletes? Like, What has that been like in the last year or so? Well, first of all, remember that in basketball, they can be one and done. But in the sport of football, it would be three years until – uh, the class had graduated from high school to have the player come out. So I wouldn't even be talking to a player who's in high school. So it's a big reorientation to start with the hottest high school quarterbacks, the hottest young uh, talent like that, and be talking to them. So very often you're talking with the parents uh, who are the screeners for it. But uh, obviously, they can be branded and uh, social media becomes critically important. And then it's a matter of, of doing deals. The one caution note here is that when you have a player who's just getting going on his career, um, it may be possible to do 
heavy amounts of endorsements, but is that getting ahead of his career progression and getting ahead of his integration onto a campus? And are you creating expectations so high that the player is never going to be able to, to make them? So you have to do a balancing act here. Um, but this field has just exploded, and it's not simply been the football quarterbacks. It's gone very deep into the rosters of some teams and uh, women's sports as well. Talking with Lee Steinberg, the president CEO of Steinberg Sports Entertainment, one of the big names, the biggest names in the sports agency arena, and uh, one of one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's not just because you are here, one of my favorite movies of all time is Jerry Maguire. And some folks who may be a little bit younger on the, the football fan spectrum or, um, you know, maybe just didn't know, but that is a movie inspired by your career, your your background a little bit. How did how did that all come to be as a you know, as a, as a movie and obviously was a, was a fantastic hit at the box office and is one of the most quotable movies of all time. Uh, how did, how did that kind of come to be in terms of that movie being developed and you being kind of the, the personality behind the entire story? You know, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, I think we have a picture right there. Oh, there you go. Yeah. With Cuba Gooding and Tom Cruise. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Cameron Crowe, the writer-director of Jerry Maguire, uh, called me up in 1993 and asked if he could follow me around to pick up atmosphere that would be for a film based on a sports agent. So I had known that he had written the book Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which made a very funny movie. And so I said, fine. And he came with me to the 1993 NFL League meetings in Palm Desert, and I was showing yeah. off free agents, and he got to meet owners and got to meet uh, coaches and got to meet players, and he was sort of a fly on the wall. Then he came to the draft in 93 where Drew Bledsoe was the first pick in the first round, my client, and he got to experience that, and I talked him through that. He came to USC for pro scouting day and to a number of games and spent time in my office, and I told him stories, lots of stories. And then as technical advisor, my job was to vet the script to make sure the willing suspension of disbelief that holds you in a motion picture didn't get ruined. You don't think it's phony. You know people don't look or talk that way. Um, and then I worked with the actors. Cuba Gooding Jr. came down with me to the Super Bowl in Phoenix, and uh, I made him pretend he was a wide receiver client. So he had to hang out with uh, Desmond Howard and Lonnie Toomer. And um, so that it's been now 25 years, and uh, I've rarely been in an airport or out to dinner where someone doesn't run up and say those four words that yeah. start with, show me the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, iconic. And real quick, before John, before you, you, I know you got another question, but real quick, for those who don't know, Kajana Carter, former Bengals number one overall pick, made a cameo in that movie, and I believe he was a client of yours as well. Was he not, Mr. Steinberg? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the movie is about as old as me. <laughs> well, I'm a little older, but yeah. <laughs> 
So going going back to that era, I guess in the '90s and the 2000s, this was before the 2011 collective bargaining agreement that really changed how rookies entering the NFL got paid, and it really changed kind of the negotiations of of working those contracts. What has been like the biggest difference aside from just like there's like there's caps on on how much these guys get get paid at certain picks? How much has that kind of changed the negotiation process with, with some of these rookies? Is, is there more complicated? matters in this and then it just kind of meets the eye because it kind of seems like everything's been a lot more simplified compared to like the 90s and the 2000s it is uh much more simplified and uh instead of having free reign and negotiate whatever um and i think i spent a lifetime negotiating with mike brown because i had the first round draft pick of the team in 1987 it was jason uh buck and uh, 1992, it was David Klingler, right? And then 1994, oh, then, then I had Dan Wilkinson, who was the yep. first round draft pick. Yep. Um, then I had Kajana Carter, who was the first pick overall in the draft. Then I had Akili Smith in 1999. And if Mike Brown... Uh, if, if the moon had football on it, Mike Brown would be the commissioner of the moon. <laughs> so uh, we went over and over. But what changed was that a team like Cincinnati could argue uh, way back when that they didn't have the revenue source of uh, any other team, and so therefore they shouldn't have to pay as much. But that all changed when the television contract completely exploded and every team gets the same amount and they have a, a new stadium with with luxury boxes so that all changed so instead of having players as holdouts uh that was never my favorite uh, thing but you had no choice with the player other than to accept the last offer or sit out and so that all changed and um um, and now negotiations are easy, and uh, both Dan Wilkinson and Kajana Carter were very smooth. Talking with Lee Steinberg, author of a couple of best-selling books, The Agent and Winning with Integrity, also the president of SSE, Steinberg Sports Entertainment. Uh, hopefully you've got maybe a couple more minutes, Mr. Steinberg. We'd love to keep sure. chatting with you if you're, if you're okay. Um, kind of talking on that a, a little bit, and we'll, we'll start wrapping up pretty soon here, talking on that uh, vein a little bit in terms of representation of Bengals players and um, you know, I don't know what you can divulge, but you know, you, you kind of talked and you made a little joke about Mike Brown being the commissioner of, of football on the moon, that sort of thing. What give us a little behind the scenes, if you can, a little bit of uh conversations that would occur, especially because it wasn't just some of your players, there were a number of high draft picks from the Cincinnati Bengals that had the holdout situation before the CBA. You know, I can think of Justin Smith and many, many others that were, you know, holdouts and David Pollock. Um, I don't know. Can you can you kind of give us a little peek behind the curtain a little bit as to how some of that took place and some of the the talks between uh, both parties? Well, Mike Brown was as tough as a negotiator as there was in the NFL, and if he had a strong sense that something was fair or uh, 
the other side's proposals were outrageous, he would just take a tough stand. So he was as tough as there was. That changed again when the cap came in because um, things were much more cut and dry. Also, I had the advantage. Dan Wilkinson played at Ohio State, and Mike picked me up from the airport one day, and I saw that he had the Ohio State fight song in his uh, CD deck, right? So uh, I remember Dan Wilkinson and I wore uh, houndstooth uh, uh, hats like uh, he wore, like Bear Bryant wore. Um, And um, so it was just tough days, but that's all changed. First of all, Katie Blackburn took over negotiating for the most part. And uh, the Bengals did much better economically. And uh, now they appear to be poised to, to make a, a great run, not just this year, but in the future. Um, Mike, to, to his credit, always said he was uh, weak for quarterbacks and he would <laughs> take them. And he finally has hit on one. This uh, Joe yeah. Burrow is sensational. And to do it this early in his career, you know, reminds me of our Patrick Mahomes uh, and, and to be running that up. And, and then that combination of, uh, of chase, it's, uh, it's incredible. So um, they put together a winner and that, that ought to stay that way for the next three or four years because um, the cap is, sort of set up that they can have a good run as long as these players are younger. And then when everyone becomes a star free agent, it gets more difficult. Yeah. For, for the record, Joe Burrow one and zero against Lee Steinberg quarterbacks <laughs> trying to be two and zero next year when they play the Miami dolphins and Tua tongue of hopefully he has a long and prospering career. In Miami we're all fans of Tua when that whole conversation about potentially him going to the Bengals was a thing in 2020 but going back to what you said about katie blackburn because that's been kind of the thing over the past couple of years the transition of power and the structure of that organization has kind of altered and you've seen a lot more um, aggression in free agency and signing exterior free agents at least from your perspective has that perception of the Bengals kind of changed with the shifting almost a little bit away from mike brown's influence towards his children or is the perception of the Bengals still kind of the same until they kind of prove it on the field no, there has been a change. Their contract negotiations are much smoother. They're more aggressive in free agency. Their draft selections themselves have been, I don't know how you do any better than Joe Burrow or Jamar Chase. Um, they, they've done an outstanding job in in everything. And, and they have stability. And this, this young coach looks like he'll be great. So... Um, They've got the components now. They're evaluating talent correctly. They're coaching it up well. They're, they, they do have stability, um, which, which is critical that you don't keep uh, changing. And, and uh, so, you know, evaluation of talent, coaching of talent, retention of talent um, uh, are all there. And they're going to be a force to be reckoned with now, you know, for some time. Look, football has evolved into a very quarterback-centric game. And unless you have that franchise quarterback, 
it's very difficult to ever make it to and through the playoffs into the Super Bowl. And they've got a diamond there uh, who who figures to be good for the next 15 years. And so having stability at that position, which is now so critical, um, they've got all the building blocks they need to move forward. Well, the Brown family is, is especially Paul Brown, kind of one of the iconic figures of the NFL. Mr. Steinberg, you've been around the NFL for decades and decades. And unfortunately, towards the the end of uh, 2021, we lost an iconic figure in the NFL world and John Madden. And I know you have had a lot of face to face and or experiences uh, and, and a relationship with him. And I know you got some thoughts maybe that you want to share about him, maybe some Funny stories, because I know funny stories abound with with John Madden. He's a he's a character. So I, I don't know if you've got some thoughts on on him, but we'd love to hear it. No, I talked to him several times. He didn't like to fly. So he took a bus and this thing uh, was like a van. But that understates it because every convenience modern man has ever aggregated was present in that bus and he could call you from uh, uh, uh you know where he'd be being some very tiny city you know going through but he communicated really well first of all he was a sensational coach and uh, i had raider season tickets when i was in law school and after and he was a really good coach, a player's coach. And he could have coached, you know, on and forever. But then his role in popularizing football was a profound one because with all his sort of cartoonish pows and bangs and whaps, and um, he was relatable and he was able to, to, share his own love of football in a very relatable way to the common fan. And look, I mean, if you ever watch a broadcast, I don't know how many people know what too deep means or the coverages or anything else. I I would think that you lose most of your audience, but he didn't. Um, And then, of course, Madden became, uh, as a video game, the phenomenon. And the whole key was getting on the cover of Madden which was a mark of uh, prestige uh, for players. Mm-hmm. And it literally popularized video games in the sports genre. It, it transfixed people and they, um, uh, and players would sit there playing uh, along with playing in the games. And so uh, he's, he's uh, that it's sort of uh, uh, profound. Now uh, I was back, at his induction into the Hall of Fame because I was giving Warren Moon's uh, presenting speech as he was inducted. And then I had Troy Aikman there too. And I was sitting next to Al Davis and Al went up and gave a hilarious uh, pre- pre- presenter for him. But that was quite an experience. That was uh, in uh, 2006. Well, this has been an immense pleasure speaking with you, Mr. Steinberg. Again, I've, I have admired your career for a very long time and uh, it, what you have done is, is amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up your website here. Um, I, what I would ask, I guess, of you here is, you know, what, it, it, I, I guess, number one, if you've got, if we've got some people out there that are looking at potentially becoming sports agents and whatnot, 
Um, you know, what are some uh, tips or I guess tr tricks, whatever you want you want to call it, to have uh, those those folks maybe getting into the industry, what what they should be looking at doing, and of course anything that you have going on through your company, your various endeavors. I do have to I do have to say that we before we. Uh, conducted the interview. Mr. Steinberg uh, does speak at my alma mater in Southern California. He's done a lot of different cool stuff working with, um, you know, college students and whatnot. So kudos to you. But I uh, want to give you at least a platform to talk about your your great company and uh, some of the some of the great people you represent. And maybe if you've got some advice for young young folks out there looking to be agents, we'll hear it. So first of all, we added a twelfth Hall of Famer um, that we've got to put up. Uh, who's John Lynch of the, who's now general manager of the 49ers who represented for most of his career. Um, we have an agent academy that we hold virtually. If you go to SteinbergSports.com, it goes through every aspect of being an agent, how to recruit, how to negotiate, how to um, uh, set up a charitable foundation, how to market, how to brand. You can go and look at that. And then I've got the book I wrote, The Agent, my 40-year career um, in making deals and changing the game. Uh, we also have a sports career conference that people can come to. But I think the most important thing for younger people to master is psychology and listening skills. Because if you can listen and get another human being through to reveal their deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams and see the world through another person's eyes, you can navigate your way uh, through life uh, gratefully. And then see sports as the ability to, to make a positive difference in the world. We can, uh, I had Lennox Lewis, the heavyweight boxer, cut a public service announcement that said, real men don't hit women. So just know going into this profession that you can trigger imitative behavior and you can target societal problems, you know. But check out uh, our next Agent Academy. It's uh, it'd be a good thing uh, to do. And and uh, uh, again, um, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, this has been a. a Great pleasure, and uh, like I said, I've I've been a I know my my colleague John here can can echo the sentiments. We've been a fan of your career. You are one of the biggest names in the industry, and we can't thank you enough for your time. Hopefully, we didn't take too much of it, but we appreciate uh, every minute of it. Have a, have a great rest of your week, and stay well. My pleasure, and uh, good luck to the Bengals. <laughs> All right, thank you, thank Lee. you, Mr. Steinberg. You're welcome. All right. So that was the interview with Lee Steinberg. Really, really fun chat and some fun stories, John, about Mike Brown. And, uh, you know, you, you take a stroll down memory lane a little bit with some of these draft picks that he represented. Uh, man, Jason Buck, hearing that name, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's in the Wayback Machine. Um, but really, I, I, I know it's not really pertinent necessarily to the Bengals winning the division and the Chiefs right now, but just a cool chat with a guy that is just an iconic person within the NFL landscape. Absolutely. I think every anytime you have an opportunity to interview and talk and learn from a guy of that stature and just everything that he's been through and everything that he's done, you have to kind of grab at it. And, you know, for a guy who's been around this industry for 50 years to hear him say what he had to say about the current 
Cincinnati Bengals and how they've evolved. I think that really, it really does speak to the progress that, that they've made in just the past couple of years. And, you know, he's not the first guy to say that, you know, Mike Brown is, is tough to negotiate with and he's not like other owners and whatnot, but to really, you know, kind of see the, the progress that they've made told by a guy of Steinberg status. I think that does mean something. It's cool. And I, I appreciate some of the nice comments we're, uh, we're, we're seeing here. Um, it was cool opportunity that came our way and we really couldn't say no. Um, and so uh, I, I'm really glad that you guys like that. It was a cool chat with a guy that has seen and experienced a lot in the NFL. And uh, when, when his name came across our, our timeline, it was like, yeah, we we gotta we gotta get him on. Mm-hmm. So thank you, thank you to him for his time. We probably took up too much of it, but that's that's okay. We were greedy. We'll we'll have to deal with it, I guess. <laughs> uh, quickly, unfortunately, with this Browns game, a lot of luster has gotten out of this game for a variety of reasons. The biggest of which is because the Bengals won the AFC North North last week, and then of course the Browns were eliminated as of last week from playoff contention. So this, you know romanticizing of this game as you know this is going to decide it uh that that kind of went out the window and that's a that's a good thing because the Bengals can kind of adjust and do different things this week the other thing is with injuries and COVID and all kinds of other things uh, a lot of a lot of players are slated to potentially miss this one maybe that was the plan all along anyway for some of these guys but uh, a little bit of a different landscape John to this one going into week 18. I mean Imagine if they lost the Chiefs game and they're dealing with some of the stuff right now. Like the whole conversation would be different. The whole vibe of this podcast would be a little bit different. But yeah, just to catch everyone up to speed on which players are on which lists and what the injury report is. After the game, in the following days after the game, the Bengals placed, I think, five players on the COVID-19 list. Now it's up to seven. But the initial five were Trey Hopkins, Von Bell, Akeem Davis-Gaither, who was already on injured reserve, Trey Hendrickson, and Quinn Spain, who was probably not going to play in the Browns game due to an ankle sprain. Our very own Zim Hude reported that Spain should be fine for the playoffs. He got good info on Logan Wilson's shoulder injury a month ago, so definitely take his word for that. And then in the next day, Joe Mixon tested positive. This is Wednesday now. Joe Mixon tested positive for COVID-19, so he's in a situation much like Jermaine Pratt was last week where the only way that he could possibly play on Sunday is if he tests negative twice after a 24-hour period between each test. B.J. Hill also tested positive on Wednesday as well. So up to seven players who are now on the COVID list. I think they got like Trey Waynes and Trent Irwin back. But exactly what you said, this game doesn't really mean much unless you really, really, really want want the number three seed. They're going to know whether or not the one seed is even possible when the Chiefs either beat or get beaten by the Denver Broncos Saturday night. And the two seed is even unlikely because you still have the Tennessee Titans who have a tiebreaker, who have just the better record over the Bengals. So this game really just means, do you want the three seed or the four seed? You don't know who you're going to play in either of those games. I think Zach Taylor and the Bengals are making a good approach here by not playing some of these starters, including the quarterback. Okay, so... Just just out of curiosity, because that's kind of the talking point. I think most uh, this time right now, though, most people are on board with you anyway. But there is always that dividing line in the sand. Do you play them? Do you not? Do you stay fresh? Do you not? Um, I I think personally, if you don't if you don't get the buy as a playoff team, 
you can use this next week as a as a potential bye week for a lot of guys, right? I mean, that's kind of how you have to treat this thing. Um, and with with guys dealing with injuries and or COVID, you know, it it, it just throws a wrench into everything. So, I, I mean, I I sit here and I, I agree with you in terms of it being a good idea probably to rest some of these guys for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, if there's someone out there saying, you know, oh, why would they why would they do that? What would you you know what? They need to they need to be fresh and they need to be sharp going into the postseason, especially with the momentum that they've been carrying these past few games. What would you say to that person? Yeah. So initially, when all this started, on my first thought was 2009 when they played the Jets in Week 17 of that season. They got destroyed, yeah. uh, 37 nothing. Still like the biggest shutout in Paul Brown Stadium history. And then they played the Jets again the week following in the playoffs, and then they lost to them fair and square with everyone out there. And I guess the, the story leading up to that game was they weren't really sure if the starters were going to play. And there was like multiple game plans going back and forth. And they just ended up not really trying. I think this time it's different in, in multiple ways. Number one, the Browns are not a playoff team like the Jets of that team. The Browns are dismantled with injuries of their own. They probably just want the season to end kind of like the Bengals wanted the season to end last year. They have a backup quarterback in Case Keenum operating behind an offensive line that's just not healthy at the moment. They don't have anyone on offense aside from Nick Chubb, who's dealing with injuries of his own. So taking all of that into account, even if certain starters don't play because of COVID, they don't have Joe Burrow out there. The Bengals can still make this a competitive game because the Browns just aren't very good. But also, Anthony, it's the Browns. They haven't beaten the Browns in two years now since before COVID took over the world and the NFL, they should be motivated to play hard. Whoever is out there to actually play. I know Tyler Boyd said like, I want to play in this game. Not only do I want a thousand yards, but they embarrassed us last time. I, mm -hmm. I want the chance to get that win back to not get swept by the Browns for the third or second consecutive year. I think that matters for the guys who are going to play. So it, I think it's the best of both worlds here. You have guys who either have COVID or don't need to play. But the guys who can play, I think, will be trying their best, and you will still have some of that that spirit, that that fighting, I, I guess, drive to win the game, and you're not just mailing it in. I think that could matter going into the next week. Here is the injury report, um, and uh, this obviously isn't accounting for the previous guys that we talked about on the COVID nineteen list. Uh, you got Joe Burrow. He's He's got that knee issue. It sounds like he is going to be sitting this one out. Jalen Davis, an ankle injury at corner. Cam Sample, uh, hamstring injury. He's been dealing with that for the past couple of weeks. Larry Ogunjobi uh, out with an illness. DJ Reader getting veteran rest. CJ Uzama, uh, a knee and a hip issue. Didn't practice. Uh, Evan McPherson, a groin issue limited and Sam Hubbard did not practice with a thigh issue. I think this is just really veteran rest day and week um, for the Bengals here. Right, John. And if you, yeah, like you said, if you want to treat this as the bye week um, instead of getting the one seed and having the bye week in the week after that, you still get a home playoff game. You're just not confirmed to get two in this case. Right. But right. again, like I, I think, the, the vibe of this team from the players perspective, from the ownership perspective, and from especially from the fans is you're no longer worried about who you're going to play in round one. You're no longer worried about that other shoe to drop. 
I think as long as they as that they keep their focus in this game and don't completely just mail it into a team that they should probably beat regardless of who's out there, I think they'll be fine and this this rest will be well earned and it, it will produce a good result and making sure that as many available bodies are out there for when the playoffs start. The Browns are the walking wounded man. Uh, Nick Chubb, Jadavian Clowney. I mean, these are limited practice guys, but Ronnie Harrison, Troy Hill. Austin Hooper, Kareem Hunt, Malik Jackson, John Johnson, Elijah Lee. I mean, a lot of these guys are are important guys to their team. David Njoku, JC Treader, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams. So they're really banged up. I mean, if you count, if you count the secondary, I'm counting five guys on the injury report. Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson at safety, Troy Hill, Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward. Um, so even if it is Brandon Allen getting the snaps, he may be able to make a few plays this week. You know Tyler Boyd's going to be playing. He might have like 30 targets in order to get that 1,000 yards in any way, shape, or form that he can. So like, there's going to be options for the Bengals. It gives Trent Irwin, Trent Taylor opportunities to get some snaps. And I don't want to go here, but I think it's worth saying COVID can impact anybody. Right now, it's impacting basically everybody. Joe Burrow is doing his best to stay away from COVID. I think he said in Wednesday's press conference that, you know, he's taking extra precautions to not be around people, always wearing masks and stuff. He doesn't want to miss the opportunity to play in the playoffs. It's not an impossibility that Joe Burrow or any starting quarterback misses a game due to COVID if they happen to test positive within five days of the actual playoff game. It's not the worst idea to give Brandon Allen some reps in some way, shape or form before um, the postseason starts. And it's not like, you know, the Bengals should have a lot of faith in Brandon Allen to actually win them a playoff game. Like AJ McCarron was, was trying to do six years ago. But I just think that now with, with COVID and Omicron just being as prevalent as it is in the, in the league, it's not the worst thing in the world to give your backups some reps before they could be called upon when the games matter the most. So with that being said, John, what should be the goals for the Bengals this week? I mean, do they, especially with so many important players set to be out of the lineup, do you think they, they just, I mean, obviously you want to win if, if you can. Um, it, it's hard to say, Hey, stay sharp when you're sitting a lot of your important players potentially. Um, and then, you know, I don't know. I guess what what are if you're the Bengals, what are you looking to get out of this game? I know I know you want to win, you want to beat your rivals, but there's so many variables and so many players in and out of the lineup for both teams, um, and both teams are headed in different directions. Come later this month, uh, it's I don't know. I it's I think there's an argument to be made on a lot of different scenarios. I think just looking at any of the teams that they play in the first round of the playoffs, I think. It, the Patriots and the Colts are the most likely both those teams love to run the football and they're really good at it. That's like the only thing that the Browns have going for them right now. I think just both of these teams are going to run the ball a lot just to get the game over with the Browns again, just want to get the off season started and the Bengals, you know, I I, I would imagine they would, they would have a conservative (laughs) game plan with Brandon Allen. Obviously they want to get Boyd involved in the passing game, but I'm really interested to see how, how the Bengals take away the Browns running game because that has been, a huge problem of the past. And if Nick Chubb plays, like he's still a problem. Whoever plays for the Bengals defensive line, it probably won't be Trey Hendrickson. 
It may not be Sam Hubbard. They could still have some defensive tackles out there. I want to see how they handle this, that Browns offensive line, because they're going to be facing either Jonathan Taylor, maybe even the return of Derrick Henry with the Titans, the um, D- Damian Harris for the Patriots, like all great rushing attacks. We, we saw them get kind of gassed a little bit against the Chiefs, and they, they didn't even have their starting running back out there, but the Chiefs have a really good offensive line, and they created some holes against the Bengals defensive line. And on the other side of the ball, if you don't have Joe Mix in this game, I want to see Chris Evans get some snaps. I want to see him maybe run between the tackles a little bit to see you know, what he can do with an increased opportunity. I think running the ball is going to be really common in this game and to see how the Bengals can handle a really good rushing attack will be very interesting as this playoff race uh, begins yeah and there's some other players they may lean on that they didn't really lean on this you know I mean there's guys that were protected on the practice squad Rennell Wren was one I mean they may based on the the, who they get matched up with and they may try and get some snaps out of some of these guys uh Tyler Shelvin you know that that sort of thing um so you know you got to kind of see what what's what some of these guys have I know Zach said that Xavier Suofilo is going to be back for the postseason so you know I mean this this may be a week to just kind of see some how guys kind of fare in, in whatever role you give them. Uh, you're going to probably need to test the depth a little bit, especially that's kind of key in the postseason anyway. Um, it would be nice to see the Bengals come out with a win because the Browns have really taken it to the Bengals. What are they, what is it? One. And I think Taylor's one and four against, uh, against Cleveland so far. So, um, you know, getting a win and balancing that skill out a little bit would also be a nice feather in the cap, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you, we're going a little long here. What do you think about this, um, this game? What are your predictions? What do you see happening? I know there's so many different scenarios and variables. I don't know. Well, that one win that uh, Taylor had against the Browns, it did come in week 17. That was their second and final win, or sorry, 2019 in week 17 was their second and final win of that season. So I guess there's that. I don't know if I should just predict them to lose because that seems to be the popular thing. I think someone in the comment section said that I better do that for the playoffs. So, you know, let's just keep that going, I guess. You know, Case Keenum, maybe the Browns galvanize around him because they're just tired of Baker playing through injury. They have Case Keenum out there to maybe run their offense a little bit more effectively. But who knows who's going to be out there for the Bengals? It's Wednesday and we still don't really have a good grasp on what the starting lineups are going to be. It's going to be ugly. It's it's going to be return to the normal normalcy of Bengals-Browns when both teams were not very good. I, I think Nick Chubb could, could have a decent game. I'll say Browns like 13, Bengals 10, I guess. I don't know. Yikes, an ugly one. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say Bengals take it just because the Browns may be packing it in, but I'll say, I'll say Bengals 19, Browns 17. Um, just a weird score, ugly one. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of guys out there that I, that you probably haven't seen much of this year that'll get some significant snaps. But it's about resting, it's about getting healthy, and it's about uh, staying healthy in this game for sure. Don't want anyone uh, getting getting unnecessarily dinged up in this one. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. We've gone long. We had a jam packed show again, thanks to a very awesome interview with Lee Steinberg. Um, what do you got, John? Yeah, uh, we, we didn't mention this in the program, and uh, apologies if this was going to be yours, Anthony, but I guess rest in peace to former Bengal uh, Super Bowl participant Ross Browner. He passed away uh, Tuesday night at the age, I believe, of 67, and he passed away due to complications from COVID. So, you know, like get vaccinated if you aren't, but rest in peace to 
a member of the Bengals' first Super Bowl run against the 49ers. Um, oh, probably should have talked about this earlier in the show, but rest in peace, Ross Browner. Yeah, I, I saw that earlier too, and thanks for bringing that up. That's a that's it's a tough one, um, and uh, a guy a guy who was a good player for the Bengals for for a while there. So uh, that's a that's a tough loss. Um, let's uh, I I just kind of want to thank Lee Steinberg again. Really, I mean, it's just kind of one of those guys that when you talk to him, it's like wow, you're talking to somebody who has seen and experienced so much in the NFL and, and all kinds of different things. And the fact that we got to sit down and talk with him for 25 minutes was, was pretty awesome. So, um, we, uh, we are appreciative of him. And obviously if you're in the California area that, you know, some of the things he was talking about in terms of, well, not even California area, he did the, the virtual, uh, agent class that he was talking about all that kind of stuff. Go check out his website, at Steinberg Sports Entertainment, um, really, really good guy, classy guy, and uh, has had a lot of twists and turns in his great career. So I, that was a treat for me, John. Another great interview. We t- we tend to have a lot of those. It's it's kind of our specialty a little bit, you know. So <laughs> we, hopefully we'll have maybe him back on in the, in the near future, and we can get some of these. Maybe we can get a former Bengal to talk about a playoff run. Anthony, it's January fifth. And we're still talking about Bengals football, not just because of week 18, but because for the first time in this, I think, show's history, we got playoffs to talk about in a couple of weeks. We haven't done a mock draft. We haven't done prospect profiles. We haven't done any of that. I know we haven't done any of that stuff. And it's it's been awesome. Well, thanks, John. Thanks to Mr. Steinberg. And thanks to all of you who tuned in live, as well as to those who tuned in after the fact. Take care. And we will be back with all kinds of more material for you on this show and through the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. And as always, keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, all that good stuff. We will see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.